My name is Scott Nye, and this is Talking Radical Radio. Hello and welcome to Talking Radical Radio, where we bring you grassroots voices from across Canada. We give you the chance to hear many different people who are facing many different struggles, talk about what they're doing, how they're doing it, and why they're doing it, in the belief that such listening is a crucial step in strengthening all of our efforts to change the world. On this week's show, I'll be speaking with Michelle Stein and Bill Knoll. Since the dawn of the nuclear age in the 1940s, Humanity has faced stark questions of risk and safety. Some of those questions have to do with the dangers of acute catastrophe, but others are about the less dramatic but no less serious risk posed by the waste that the nuclear industry generates. Among the most challenging of that waste to deal with, designated high-level radioactive waste by the industry, is spent fuel bundles from nuclear reactors. Comprised of a highly toxic and radioactive mix of isotopes, the material in these bundles will be dangerous to living things for, at the very least, hundreds of thousands of years. Though it has been decades since the industry first started producing radioactive waste, there has yet to be a fully satisfactory answer to the question of what to do with it. The organization currently tasked with figuring that out for the millions of used nuclear fuel bundles in the Canadian context is the Nuclear Waste Management Organization, or NWMO. Currently, used fuel bundles are kept in interim storage facilities on reactor sites, but the long-term plan is to put them in a Deep Geological Repository, or DGR, a location that is deep underground and geologically stable. A number of countries are currently developing DGRs for high-level radioactive waste, but none are currently operational. The NWMO is in the middle of an elaborate selection process to find a site for both the plant that will repackage the fuel bundles for long-term storage and the storage facility itself. They began with 22 possible host communities back in 2010. Mostly, it should be noted, small, financially distressed communities. And they've narrowed their possibilities down to two. Ignace in northwestern Ontario, and South Bruce in southern Ontario, near Lake Huron. They hope to announce their decision in 2023. Michelle Stein and Bill Knoll are members of Protect Our Waterways, No Nuclear Waste, a group of concerned South Bruce residents who've come together to oppose the facility. Stein and her husband raise cattle and sheep on their farm, which sits next to the proposed site of the DGR, and Noel is a retired engineer who lives right across from the site. Their concerns with the proposed facility are many. Despite assurances from the NWMO that it will all be safe, their own investigation of processes for transporting and storing nuclear waste around the world have convinced them that very real risks remain under the NWMO's plan. They fear that the facility could endanger human and environmental health, local agriculture, local drinking water, and the larger Great Lakes Basin. And they argue that it is not just about their community being the wrong choice, but that the whole approach is flawed. Moreover, they're quite concerned about the process. They have identified a pattern of what they say is incomplete and one-sided information from the NWMO, and a process that takes advantage of communities by downplaying risk and promising economic benefits that they say seem unlikely. The NWMO insists that whatever community ends up hosting the DGR must be willing but they've refused to clarify exactly what that means. 
Much of the group's work has focused on mounting a local grassroots response to the slick and well-funded PR efforts of the NWMO. Before COVID, that involved knocking on doors, they brought in speakers and hosted events, lobbied politicians, done media work, and made presentations to other local organizations. Last summer, they presented a petition against the DGR with signatures from more than 1,500 residents to the local municipal council. And to put that in perspective, the current mayor got fewer votes than that in the last local election. They commissioned Main Street Research to do an opinion survey that found 64% of local residents would vote against locating a DGR for high-level radioactive waste in the community. And the group is demanding a binding referendum on the issue. Stein said, quote, Since they won't give us a definition of what willing is, we're going to just continue to show them what not willing looks like, end quote. I speak with Stein and Noel about the efforts in South Bruce to keep a high-level radioactive waste storage facility out of their community. Hello, I'm Michelle Stein, and I'm from Teeswater, Ontario. The municipality we live in is called South Bruce. My husband and I have a farming operation where we milk sheep and raise beef cattle. And we became involved in this project when we discovered that the Nuclear Waste Management Organization was interested in taking all of Canada's high-level radioactive waste and burying it on the farms next to us. My name is Bill Knoll. I also live in Teeswater. I'm right across from the proposed site for the DGR. I'm a retired professional engineer. I got involved with this project because they just don't believe that the right solution is being applied as far as handling the waste from the nuclear industry. Protect our waterways. We started meeting together in January. And that's January 2020. After we heard about the acquisition of land, many of us attended an information meeting in February. We tried to ask some questions. We were told to be quiet and they adjourned the meeting. So it was after that that we started meeting in people's kitchens, trying to put together a plan to find out more information. And the more information we found out, the worse this idea looked and the more risks and dangers we learned about. Our first project that we worked on together was February and early March. We started a petition, went door to door within the community. We collected over 1,500 signatures against the DGR, which was about, we found 65 to 70% of the residents we approached were against it. Obviously, we had to stop that approach when COVID came into effect. When we presented that petition to council in June, it included a large parade with over 100 vehicles dressed out in yellow that went through the community. And council basically ignored that petition, even though the mayor was elected with only 1,380 votes in the last election, just to give you kind of a reference on how many signatures over 1,500 is. And our community is a distressed community. A lot of the storefronts in the downtown area are empty. We have no grocery store anymore. So the community really is, and the council are looking for some means of economic development to revive the community. And their story is that they would like to use this project as their opportunity to show the community that there's an opportunity for growth and economic development in this area. Maybe a good way to set the stage for listeners would be if you could give a big picture sense of the NWMO's process. What did it look like in the period of time before your group got active? It started in 2010. 
They sent a notice out to mostly distressed communities. So they had 22 communities that had acknowledgement that they would be interested in evaluating whether or not their community would be a willing host community. In that process, they funded the 22 communities with a small fund of about 450000 to start with to say that, okay, we're going to engage with you and we'll determine whether you're a suitable location for us to put this highly radioactive material in your location. And they call that step one. And as they moved through that, one of the issues that they were encountering was the ability to acquire land. They needed 1,500 acres to store all of these 5 million bundles of radioactive material. It has to be, you know, adjoining properties. And they found that in a lot of communities, they weren't able to get people interested. And they got down to three communities in what they call the step two, where they've done some preliminary economic evaluation and recommendation on what was going to affect the environment. And uh, then they proceeded to engage with the councils in these areas to get the CLC committees up. Uh, And that stands for Community Liaison Committee. The NWMO says they will not come to a community that isn't informed about the project or that they demonstrate that they will be a willing host community. So there's a nine-step process. But in step three, they get into the ability to get more active involvement. Things like, for instance, they will now fund the community to hire people within the community, within the administration offices, to start more of a ad campaign. They say it's to educate the public about the whole NWMO DGR program. And that's kind of where we are right now. They're down to two communities because the other 19 backed out or weren't acceptable as far as the NWMO is concerned. So now we're down to two communities, one here in South Bruce and the other is up in the northern part of Ontario. They call it a NACE. So that's when they start funding the town. They go into a process which they call a project visionary process where they invite the residents come in and do a workshop. That occurred here in November and through January of this past year. And that they think that they develop what they call the principles of engagement that will guide whether or not this is going to be a good project for the community and to the NWMO organization, whether it will be a suitable, willing host community. And a big part of the process is every time you turn around, they're donating money to something in the community or to an organization in the community or they're offering money to the schools. There's a lot of money being handed out. So how did you first find out that all of this was going on? And how did that lead to the founding of your group to oppose the DGR? Back in September 2019, we heard some talk about it. There had been flyers in the mail, but to be honest, we weren't paying attention to it. We attended a meeting in September and we had some questions. They were talking about that proposed project that they were working on in Finland, but nobody had any answers. Then in January... Uh, and again, this was last January in 2020. I attended a afternoon workshop that was supposed to be about learning more about the project. Quickly discovered it was actually just a workshop for people to dream about how we were going to spend all the money that would be flowing into the community. For those of us that had questions, we basically were told that not what this workshop's about, but we'll write your questions down on the wall. If we have time, we'll look at them later. 
At the end, they did actually choose to answer one question, and the question they picked was somebody asked about an accident at the Waste Isolation Pilot Project down in New Mexico. And the NWMO representative told us about this radioactive accident that assured us that, you know, because it was underground and everything worked the way it was supposed to, nothing contaminated the environment and it all worked perfectly, just like a proposed DGR would work perfectly here in South Bruce. The next morning, we discovered on the news that the NWMO had purchased an option, 1,300 acres of land, including property on either side of our farm. So then my husband and I decided maybe we should go into the office and talk to them because obviously if they've purchased land, they must be ready to answer questions. And our biggest question was, what happens if this project affects the quantity or quality of our water? Because we raise milk sheep and we raise beef cattle, so cases of bottled water aren't the solution. And if the livestock doesn't like the taste of the water, they won't drink the water and they won't produce milk. The answer we received that day was that they were not at the point of being able to answer that question, but it was really good for them to know the reasons behind our concerns. So that was the moment that we decided that they didn't have answers and we needed to go find our own answers. And the first answer we learned was that the waste isolation pilot project was in the middle of the desert. It was for low and intermediate waste. It was 35 kilometers away from the nearest town and has over 8,000 acres around it as a buffer zone. And that that accident that caused no problems, in fact, 22 above ground workers were exposed to radiation and it took three years and $500 million to clean up. So it was at that point that we realized that the NWMO only tells you the things they want you to hear and the rest they hope you don't find out about. And the more connections we've been making throughout Canada, the States, Australia, and all over the world, the more you learn that there is serious risks and dangers involved in this project. So we invited as many people as we could to come to an information meeting that the CLC committee, which is the Community Liaison Committee, They're supposed to be the committee in our municipality that is neutral. According to their website, they are just there to provide information so that the citizens of South Bruce can make an informed decision. They've been here since 2012. There's been over 50 speakers. They have had one speaker come in who has been opposed to the DGR after we specifically requested that they invite Dr. Gordon Edwards to come and speak. Talk in more detail about why you oppose the DGR. The first point is the DGR is just an experiment. There is no DGR operating in the world for high-level nuclear waste. Like I mentioned, the Waste Isolation Pilot Project down in New Mexico, that is the only DGR that matches the description according to the Canadian Safety Nuclear Commission. And it is just for low and intermediate level waste, not the high-level waste. And any place where they've tried to bury this nuclear waste, there has been accidents and leaks. And the NWMO says in their own reports that the containers for the disposal of used fuel are typically designed for a very long life. When the containers eventually fail by corrosion as a result of groundwater ingress into the repository, waste constituents can migrate out of the disposal facility and enter the biosphere. So they know the water is going to get in. This is a waste product that is dangerous for millions of years, and there is no man-made container that they can guarantee will not corrode. It will leak into the environment, and it's just too big of a risk to take. We're in the Great Lakes Basin. They actually want to build this BGR beside our river, which is a tributary to Lake Huron. They're going to go underneath our river, and we're only 35 kilometers from the shorelines of Lake Huron. You're putting our aquifers at risk. They're digging through our aquifers. 
And those are the types of information that you don't hear directly from the NWMO. You have to read the reports. They also say that, you know, this rock formation's been here for millions of years, so, you know, it's stable, it won't be bothered by anything. But what they don't tell you is that when you're building a mine like this and we're going down 500 meters to 700 meters, you're actually disturbing the ground because you're blasting, you're doing all of that. The other thing that bothers the community here is with 700 workers coming to this location and a mine, there's a lot of traffic going to be involved. The other thing that bothers you is that, so back up a little bit, once they make the decision in 2023, they're going to go through an evaluation process for 10 years with the federal government. And then once that's done and they get approval for that, then they're going to have another 10 years that they're going to be constructing this mine. And during that process, you're going to hear a lot of blasting. You're going to hear a lot of ground removed above ground in this blasting process. You're going to have a lot of vehicles going back and forth. So it's just going to be a very noisy community for a long time. It's also going to be a very long period of time when the community is not going to see any benefit from this. It's a long way out. Everything they were telling us was, well, this is what is going to happen. This is going to be safe. This is going to be scientifically proven. And you're going to see all kinds of growth in your community. And I just don't see the opportunity for this community, South Bruce, being such a small community and being so involved with farming industry. And we have a very low unemployment rate. So I just don't see how a construction such as a mine that's going to involve 700 or 800 people that anybody in this community or a very small number of the people in this community are going to be actually employed by that particular activity. And then the other aspect is that once they're in the community and they finally have a DGR built, which won't occur until 2043, when they actually start bringing these nuclear bundles to this location, and they're going to do that for 40 years, two trucks per day that come to the location. At the location, they have to now repackage this material to fit into a much different bundle to put it underground. So at that point, there is also the opportunity for emissions of radioactive material while they're doing this repacking. They say, well, it'll be safe. It won't be a large amount of radioactive material. And we just don't believe that all of these situations are going to result in a safe environment for the people that are living adjacent to these properties. And it raises the question on how did this become a specific site? I feel it was selected because it's where they could acquire land. Like I mentioned, the Teeswater River runs through it. The proposed site has swamps and wetlands that connect to the Greenock Swamp, which is, you know, just a couple concessions over, which is the largest forested wetland in southern Ontario. There's risks of radiation being released into the environment. And you can see the town from the site. And that town includes two elementary schools. It includes a large milk processing plant. And it's surrounded by farmland. Like Ontario, only 5% of its land is good for growing crops and raising food for people. So why would we turn that into a radioactive underground mine? And I keep asking them, how many safe levels of radiation can we invite into our community before it's not safe anymore? So you mentioned that you were going door to door with a petition before COVID and that you presented it to municipal council last June. 
What other kinds of things have you been doing to educate and mobilize the community on this issue? We've had several times that we've put together webinars inviting people to listen to the other side of the story. We've also started sending out flyers in the mail. We actually put out a flyer in August that we've ended up sending to over 50,000 households. Because at the end of the day, a lot of people just didn't know about this project. And I think that was part of the plan. The less people who know about it, the less people there is to oppose it. We've also started sending out monthly newsletters within South Bruce just to give people the rest of the information and letting people know that, hey, here's the rest of the story. You guys need to know that there are risks involved and we're the only ones putting that information out. Any letters or information that's sent to council, they just pass it off to the CLC committee. We've been very active in writing letters to the council, the newspapers, just to provide a sense of the information is not all complete when you hear it from the NWMO. Our message primarily is that, you know, if you only listen to one side of an argument, then you're not really being informed. So we wanted to make sure that people had a chance to hear what the downside of this particular project is. And we're doing that through, as Michelle alluded to, webinars and anything that allows us to get information out. We don't have the kind of money that the NWMO has to spend on this, and they're spending millions of dollars on this project. We're a self-funding organization working on a very, very small budget. So we have to be rather selective on how we spend that money. So we will engage experts. We have done that. We've hired an environmental lawyer to help us think about the legal aspects of this project and to make sure that the municipality is following the proper procedures for the engagement of this. We're worried that they might circumvent some of the Planning Act and those kinds of things. So we've done as much as we can do from a point of view of the budget that we have available to us. We do make phone calls. Prior to COVID-19 setting in, we used to hold a large gathering of, you know, 75 to 100 people of the community that could come out for those things. We've done that to educate them and to tell them what we're doing, primarily to keep them informed about the actions that we take. We've made phone calls to a number of people as well, just to keep the information fresh in their mind and so that they don't just hear one side of the story. And we've also been bringing delegations to different organizations just to let them know about this project. I think they've finally realized that, yes, we are actually an agriculture community. And the NWMO is now approaching different agricultural organizations. And basically, their message to them is, don't worry, this isn't going to affect agriculture. It's just going to bring money to the community. It's not something you need to worry about. So we're trying to get in touch with these organizations and saying, hey, you need to hear the rest of the story. Like, this is what's actually going to happen. It is a risk to agriculture. It risks our water. It risks our land. It risks our air. And there's the stigma of nuclear radiation. Are people going to want to buy food that is produced on top of basically an underground nuclear dump? What are your plans moving forward to try to stop the DGR from coming to South Bruce? The main thing is to put enough information out there. Whether you're for or against this project is immaterial. The fact is that we would like the community to have a vote on the project itself, and we'd like to see that happen in 2021 or at least sometime in the near future. 
If that doesn't happen, then we'll look for the next election that's occurring in 2022 and see whether or not we can find candidates that have a different mindset than the current incumbents in the council. So the main thing for us is to continue to have webinars with people that are familiar with the downside of this project. We will engage experts throughout 2021 to provide information to the council and to the community that, you know, let's have a real independent assessment. That was one of the issues that we have with the approach that the NWMO is taking. There are no peer reviews of the information that they're providing. There's no independent body that's doing an assessment of what is being told or what is being relayed to the council or to the community. Right now, the municipality has sent out, well, I think they claim 60 independent studies that they're going to have occur in 2021 or early 2022. And some of those studies we're going to need to reevaluate from an independent point of view because most of the information in those studies is either being provided by the NWMO as, you know, facts or independent organizations that are funded by the NWMO. So that's one of the areas that we're going to have to spend some time and some money on, and we'll have to be selective on what studies we really get involved with. The one study that is out there is, again, to determine how they're going to create the definition for a willing host community and how that's going to be decided. In that study, they have indicated that there are going to be a number of factors that are going to be used to determine whether you're a willing host community. And we have a concern with that particular aspect of that study in the sense that we think a more sensible way is to have a referendum, a binding referendum, before anything is decided by the municipality or an agreement with the NWMO. We are hoping at some point in time this COVID situation gets under control and that we can actually go out and visit the rest of the residents that we haven't been able to get at to find out what their views are about this project. So we will do some of that activity in 2021, hopefully, and we will continue to have speakers come in that will give you an appreciation and understanding of what the risks are. And we'll do the letter writing and we'll continue to go to council, continue to go to the communities, surrounding communities as delegations presenting what we think are the issues associated with the project. And we want to keep the public eye on this project. The more people who know about it from further afield, the better, because they keep saying they'll only come to a willing community. So the more we have the public watching this process, the less likely they can sneak in claiming that we're willing. So part of our purpose is since they won't give us a definition of what willing is, we are going to just continue to show them what not willing looks like. And the more people who see that and the more people who join that, the better. I think at last count when I talked to our sign crew, there's over 700 signs out within the community and there's signs that are like an hour or hour and a half away from here because People realize our water is all connected, and when they start moving this radioactive waste, it's coming from all across Ontario and Quebec and New Brunswick, and it's traveling through their communities. So that's a risk to everybody, too. You have been listening to my interview with Michelle Stein and Bill Knoll of Protect Our Waterways, No Nuclear Waste. To learn more about the group, go to protectsouthbruce-nodgr.org. 
To find out more about Talking Radical Radio, the guests, the theme music, and the ways that you can listen, go to talkingradical.ca and click on the link for the radio show. On the site, you can sign up for email updates or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, iTunes, SoundCloud, and other platforms. I'm Scott Nye, a writer and media producer based in Hamilton, Ontario, and the author of two books of Canadian history told through the stories of activists, published by Fernwood Publishing. Thank you very much for listening, and I hope you tune in again next week. Thank you.